Amen, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, New Life Downtown. I love stories. I love to read stories and sort of find myself just sort of caught up in them. I love to watch stories. Just nothing for me like just sitting down and watching a good movie or getting caught up in a television show with just great storytelling. I love listening to people tell stories or to tell their story. And someday I hope to tell one, like tell a good story. I'm in a master class with Jay Benson right now to learn how to tell stories uh, well about ladders and backyards and uh, those things. Uh, But there is something about stories that really just sort of resonate with us as people. And the really good stories, what they do is they they sort of usher us in to the, the place and the action, all that is happening within them. We find as we read or as we watch or as we listen, we become a part of the story. We can imagine ourselves in it. We're waiting for Jay and Linda to invite us over for dinner. We sort of get immersed in those stories and can see ourselves in the middle of it. If you can think of those moments, some of the great literature moments where we can actually imagine ourselves as Lucy in the wardrobe, walking past fur coats as they turn into fir trees and stumble into Narnia to be greeted by the lamppost. We can imagine what it'd be like to stand there at King's Cross and grab our cart and run straight at a brick wall at platform nine and three quarters and suddenly find the Hogwarts Express there. It's like, oh, there's a whole world here that I never knew existed. There's moments where we're reading the story where we think, I'm ready to go on a journey to take an adventure and walk out of the Shire to leave my hobbit hole and to see where this life with Gandalf might take me. Or a really popular story in our house right now, The Wingfeather Saga. If you haven't read it by Andrew Peterson, just a fantastic series. We can imagine ourselves getting on the boat and heading across the dark sea of darkness to face Nag the Nameless. Stories usher us in. We find ourselves becoming a part of them and can place ourselves in the story and identify with the characters or think, if we were in that story, that character would be my best friends. We can find ourselves in those moments. But the best stories go even further than that. The best stories actually get inside of us. They become a part of us in a way that we never put down. That it's not just we finish the story, put it down and walk away, but actually something happens for us. They change us. They change the way that we see the world. They change the way that we see ourselves. They change the way that we think about what it means to be human and how to live in this place with other people. This is actually what the story of God is meant to do for us. This is what the scriptures are meant to do. Not just usher us into the story of what God has been doing throughout history, but to actually get inside of us in a way that changes us, that transforms us, that becomes the way in which we see the world, that we carry the story around with us wherever we go, and we're constantly living into it and living out of it. We're in a series right now through a book in the Bible known as Nehemiah, and we've covered over the last few weeks the first six chapters of this book. And in the first six chapters, we're introduced to the main character, Nehemiah, the cupbearer from Susa, and we're introduced into the main problem that he faces right away, which is here he is, a Jewish man living in another part of the world after his family had been exiled 
into Babylonian exile. And he's met some people who've come back from Jerusalem, from his homeland, from the city that he loves. And he's heard that the walls and the gates are destroyed, that things are still not going well for the people of God in the place that, the God, that God has placed them. And so he goes and he fasts and he weaves and he prays. And the Lord places on his heart a solution to go back and to lead the people in rebuilding the wall. And we actually, in these first six chapters, get resolution as well. That in 52 days, they rebuild the wall. They overcome external opposition and internal challenges. And here they are, and they rebuild the wall. But we still have seven chapters left. (laughs) There's still more to the story for a lot of us. If you grew up in church, the idea is like, oh, Nehemiah returns, he rebuilds the wall and end of the story. But there's still a lot left going on. And we're going to be shifting then into that second half of the book today where actually there's a shift of focus. The, the narrative shifts from focusing on the rebuilding of the wall to the rebuilding of the community, the rebuilding of the people who are supposed to call this place home, who are meant to live in the safety of these walls in a way that gives glory and honor to God. The first chapter in that, that new section is chapter seven. It largely entails, it entails a detailed list of families who've returned and how many people came. And there's some interesting things in there, but it's largely just census material, uh, which I'm guessing none of you pick up and just read for fun. You're like, you know what I really want to read today? It's the census. If there's something I can find myself lost in, it's this kind of data. Uh, So we're not going to go there. We're going to focus on chapter 8 today, which reintroduces us to a character who we met earlier, not in this book, but in the previous book, the book called Ezra. We're reintroduced to the person of Ezra, who actually we meet in the seventh chapter in the book that bears his name. And we're told that Ezra is a priest and a scribe. That Ezra is someone who the scripture says in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10, who set his heart, fixed his heart to study the word of the Lord, to do it and to teach its statutes in all of Israel. This is someone who's deeply committed to the scriptures, deeply committed to the word of God, has organized his whole life around it and wants nothing more than to teach the people. And so now he comes back on the scene here to teach Torah. Torah is a way of describing the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But sometimes it gets used for the scriptures as a whole. He wants to teach people the word of God that he might lead them into a spiritual renewal. And so Nehemiah chapter eight, verse one begins this way. So when the seventh month came and the people of Israel were settled settled in their town. So after they finished building, they settled back in, but now they're being regathered. All the people gathered together in the area, in the front of the water gate, different than the hotel in Washington, D.C. that you're thinking of. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the instruction scroll from Moses, to bring out the Torah, according to which the Lord had instructed Israel. And so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the instruction, brought the Torah, brought the law, brought the scriptures before the assembly. And the assembly was made up of both men and women and anyone who could understand what they heard. And facing the area in front of the water gate, he read it aloud 
from early morning until the middle of the day. So we got a little bit of a late start today. Uh, so we're gonna finish up maybe around 6 p.m. tonight. Since we didn't start early in the morning, we got six, no, not six, okay, we'll, we'll keep to our normal time. But six, eight hours reading aloud the scriptures. And he read it in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And everyone listened attentively to the instruction scroll. Everyone listened like they used to when I was a youth pastor, all the teenagers just listening. No, not quite like that. Here we see that the wall is completed in the sixth month. That's what we're told in the previous chapters. And then the story picks up on the first day of the seventh month. The seventh month would have happened September, October time period. So this time of year, but a long time ago in a land far, far away from here. And the first day of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar is actually New Year's Day. It's Rosh Hashanah. It's the beginning of a new year for them. So here, the first day, New Year's Day, Rosh Hashanah, they're gathered together here in this place. They're gathered outside the city, outside a gate to the east in the Kidron Valley. And the gate that they're outside is referred to as the water gate because it gave them access to the Gihon Springs, a fresh water supply just outside the city. See, apparently they named some of their gates like we name our congregations. The water gate, that's the gate you got to get the water. New Life Downtown, that's the one that meets downtown. We're really creative with these kinds of things. <laughs> but water here, like why did they gather there? Why in that place? Probably because they needed water for all the people. But there's also a sense here that water is always a symbolic image of purity, of life, of birth, of newness, of freshness. And so here they are gathered on the first day of the new year by a fresh stream, fresh fountain of water, and marking a new beginning for them as a community. They're looking for a fresh start. And I wonder for us, when we find ourselves in those moments, either now it's the beginning of the fall or the beginning of the new school year, or maybe when January 1st comes around, or maybe in those moments where we just go through a change of job or a change of season, or maybe in those moments where I think, what I really need right now is I need a fresh start. I need something new. I need sort of a reset. When, when we find ourselves in those moments, what are, we, what are we looking for? What are we wanting? What do we think that we need? What do we ask for? I know whenever I get to those moments, the very first thing that I go to is my calendar. And I think, you know what I really need? As I just need to figure out all these pieces. If I can get this in here and this in here and that in here and I can figure out the food plan and the exercise plan and the family plan and the study plan and the friend plan and this plan and that plan. If I can get it all set, then all of a sudden I'll have the fresh start I'm looking for. And then the next day happens. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, it just seems to be gone. But I'm always kind of trying to figure out if I can just figure out the calendar, it'll all be okay. What do we ask for? What do we, what do we sort of turn to in those moments? Here Israel's gathered outside this gate and being in a new year and looking for a fresh start. And what they ask for is they ask for the Torah. They ask for the word of God. They ask for the instruction that comes from the God that loves them. They ask for the gift of the law that has been given to them. They asked for what we would call the Bible. They knew that they needed instruction, not just any instruction. They needed instruction that came straight from the mouth of God. And so on the first day of the new year, 
when they're beginning again, they prioritize the scriptures. And I wonder for us when we find ourselves in those seasons, looking for a fresh start or beginning something again or starting something new, what does it look like for us to prioritize the scriptures, to prioritize the word of God in those moments? Not just our calendars, though that's parts of kind of figuring out a new season. But what does it look like to prioritize the very word that comes from the mouth of God? So here as they're gathered together, they ask for the Torah. And Ezra brings out the scroll. He's on some sort of elevated platform and he walks out carrying the, the scroll to the people. In the original language, the sense here is that he caused the scriptures to enter. He caused the word of God to come. He made the word of God come near. So as they're entering into a new season, the word of God enters into their community. And they could see it and they could hear it. And their ears were to it. That original language is that their ears were actually to the instruction. And verse 5 picks up and says this, Standing above all the people, Ezra the scribe, he opened the scroll in the sight of them. And he opened it and all the people, they stood up. And then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And they all lifted their voices. They answered, they said, amen, amen, while they raised their hands. And then they kneeled down, they bowed down, and they put their faces on the ground and they worshiped. Here is the scriptures enter into their community as the word of God comes near and as it's opened in their sight, they responded in whatever bodily way that they could. They responded bodily as they were able to. Those that were able to stand stood. Those that were able to lift their voices lifted their voices. Those that could lift their hands lifted their hands. Those that could kneel kneeled down. Those that could put their face in the dirt put their face in the dirt and they bowed down. They worshiped in a bodily kind of way. They worshiped when the word came near. See, when we read the word rightly, when we approach the scriptures in the way that we're meant to, to approach them, what happens is, is the word inspires our worship. But this is what the scripture does. It inspires worship for us. When the word enters our midst, when it comes inside of our lives, it should ignite something inside of us, something that actually needs to get out, something that needs to be enacted in some way, that the gratitude, that the love, that the honor, that the respect, that the awe, the reverence that we feel actually works itself out in our bodies in whatever way that it can. That's why even in our services, we encourage you to sing as you're able we encourage you to stand as you're able. We encourage you to lift your hands as you're able. We wanna find bodily ways of responding to what it is that we're seeing and what it is that we're hearing. And I know for some of you, it's like we get here sometimes and it's, it's getting rowdy. You know, some of you might get out here a little bit and you know, then, then I know the spirit is moving. When we all like, when downtown starts shaking, like this, the spirit is moving. I remember as a teenager when I first came to the Lord as a 16-year-old, it was about a year later that my buddies uh, who were in kind of like a punk band, they started leading worship at this youth group a couple towns away. And they're like, hey man, come to church with us. And I remember walking in and there's 
like drums and guitars and bass players and things. I'd never seen any of that in church in my entire life. But when I did go to church, there was a hymnal and an organ. Like that's all I was familiar with. And then, you know, we stood and then we sat, but no one clapped, no one raised their hands, no one talked back at any, like just, that didn't happen. And so then I walk into this place and they kick in and people are running around the room and they're screaming and their hands are up and they're doing the, like the Pentecostal dance. And I'm going... Like, what is happening here? Some of you feel that way when you come to downtown. You're like, someone's swaying. I don't even know what to do with that. That's a bit much for me. But there was a sense that at this church, they loved God so much and they were preparing to hear the word. They were singing the word and they were reading the word and it just came out in bodily sort of ways because the word inspires our worship. That worship wants to get out in practical, embodied, enacted ways in us. Nehemiah 8.9 then says this. This is Nehemiah the governor. And Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. So don't mourn or weep, they said. They said this because all the people wept when they heard the instruction. So as Ezra brings the scriptures out and they respond in all these ways and then he starts his six hour, eight hour reading time. As the people were listening to the word of God being read, what they heard caused them to weep. Brought them to tears, they began to cry. We're not told exactly why this happens but most likely it's because they realized the dissonance between the life that God had for them and the life that they were leading. They realize the dissonance between the law and the instruction and the way of God that leads to life and to righteousness. And they saw their lives and the way they were living and what was going on inside of them and their own community, their own families, their own relationships, their own friendship groups. And they saw the dissonance. They felt it. And they felt remorse for their failure to follow the ways of God. See, when we read the word rightly, the word actually provokes repentance in us. It provokes us, it brings us to a place of repentance. This is what makes the Bible so difficult to read. It's not the only thing, you know, the language and the customs and the culture and the distance and the time, all of those things make the Bible hard to read as well, but this may be the most difficult thing because the Bible contains in it the story of God and in that story of God, it's God teaching us the way of God the way to live in this world. It contains God's commands and instructions. The scriptures make demands on our lives. We hear God inviting us into things. And because of that, we we frequently face our own shortfalls. We read those words and we remember our own lives in light of them. I remember there's been several times where I've tried to read through the Bible in a year or have said, you know, in December, okay, I'm gonna get one of the one-year Bible reading plans and I'm gonna do it this year. I'm gonna make my way all the way through it. And I never get past Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which if you know, that's like the first week of the Bible reading plan as you're reading the gospel. And it's because of the words of Jesus as Jesus is talking about loving your enemies, as he's talking about a life of prayer and fasting and generosity and sacrifice as he's talking about a way of life that seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above every other thing. And as I read, I'm like, find myself on my knees once again, praying, asking God for his forgiveness. 
We have a choice in those moments. The Bible confronts us in that way. We can either push it away or we can let it in. We can either dismiss it, distance ourselves from it, try to explain it away. Like, oh, that was just, you know, that made sense to that person at that time and that place, but certainly doesn't have anything to do with me and my life now. That, that doesn't really matter anymore. That can't mean what the, I think it means. We can distance it. Or we can weep. We can let it in. We can let our hearts be broken open. And the reason we do that is because it's only when we weep, it's only when we are broken open that we can actually then receive the great grace of forgiveness. That Jesus meets us in those moments. And the cleansing waters of forgiveness usher us into our own fresh start, our own new beginning with God as we see that dissonance, that distance between us and God's best for us, we then remember that Jesus enters into that very moment. That Jesus came to reconcile us to God, not in the moments where we are at our best, but in the moments that we are at our worst. And it's in those moments that all of a sudden forgiveness and grace and mercy and love become actually really real to us. And that new beginning can take root in us. So much so that the New Testament writers called it a new birth that kind of radical new beginning. It's also why when we gather together in our services that after we preach and read the word that we go straight into confession. That we, we, we study the word together and then we go straight to confession because we recognize our own dissonance, our own distance, our own troubles, our own shortcomings, our own failures. And so we repent. We say, most merciful God. We confess that we have failed to love you with our whole heart and we failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for you for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Would you forgive us? Would you have mercy on us? We come back to those moments. We break our hearts open again. Nehemiah 8.13 says this then. On the second day, the heads of the families of all the people along with the priests and the Levites. They came back a second day, by the way, after an eight-hour Bible reading. <laughs> they came back along with the priests and the Levites and they gathered together around Ezra, the scribe, in order to study some more. You know, eight hours wasn't quite enough to study the words and instruction. And they found written in the instruction that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in booths during the festival of the seventh month. And they should actually build some temporary dwellings and they should actually live in those. What he's referring to here is the festival of Sukkot or the festival of booze or the festival of tabernacles, however you've heard it referred to. It's a celebration of the fall harvest of God providing for the people. It's a celebration of their time in the wilderness as they lived in temporary dwellings before God brought them into the promised land. And it's actually a, 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 a celebration of God coming to dwell in the temple when the temple was dedicated. And not only did they live in temporary sort of places, but God came to live with them in the tabernacle and the temple. And it's supposed to happen on the 15th of the seventh month of the year. So here they are on day two of the seventh month. And they're like, there's a holiday coming. There's a festival. It's 13 days away. And this is their first opportunity to obey. So they hear it. They're like, oh, we're supposed to make these like temporary shelters. And then what do they do? They scatter and they go get everything they need. And they come back and they build their booths. They build their tabernacles. See, genuine repentance 
always should lead us to a recommitment to follow the ways of God. Here they've repented, they've wept, and now it's presented before them as an opportunity to obey, an opportunity to enter back in, an opportunity in this fresh start to say, okay, we're gonna do this. And they immediately did, they scattered, they went and got their stuff. The word, when it's read rightly, always calls for our obedience. Calls for our obedience. That's why it's called instruction. It's to teach us to live in accordance with God's character and God's plan and God's ways in the world. It's what the scriptures are meant to do. And this just isn't an Old Testament idea. Jesus, as he's gathering his disciples and commissioning out the church, he tells them to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey. Now we know that this isn't something that we do in our own strength. This isn't something that's like, okay, I'm just gonna try harder this year. I'm gonna sort of grit my way into the ways of God. <laughs> I'm gonna pull myself up by my own bootstraps and just force myself to keep every commandment perfectly. And that's why the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came to enable us to do what we cannot do on our own. The Holy Spirit came that he might actually transform our desires. That we might actually find ourselves in a place over time of walking with Jesus by the Spirit that we begin to desire different things. We begin to desire the things that God wants. We begin to desire the things that are best for us. We find ourselves being changed on the inside out. And then we're also being empowered to live in a different way. Because God has walked with us over the course of time. This is why even in our services, that our, we don't end with a confession. We don't just stop and say, okay, God, we'll forgive us. But it even goes on. Even in that prayer, it says, teach us to delight in your will and to walk in your ways. And we end our services by receiving God's blessing again, being sent back out to say, all right, we got a fresh start this week to walk with the Spirit in the places that he sends us to be a light into dark places. we got a fresh start again because we've once again come to the waters of the Spirit. We receive the grace of God. We confessed our sin. He met us in there, and we're being sent back out, commissioned into a new way of obedience. And all of this for the people of Israel was ignited because Ezra brought out a scroll. <laughs> he walks out with the word of God. He caused the word of God to enter into the community. It all happened because the word came near. And we know it wasn't just a moment in time where somebody brought out a scroll to some other people. But the word himself actually came near. The word of God actually took on flesh and blood and came near to us. The Jesus, the very word spoken, very word who all of creation was made and sustained by. Jesus himself, the living word of God, became flesh. John put it this way and said, the word became flesh and made his home among us. In the first century, what they would have heard is that the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. The word tabernacled once again with us. The word came near, made his dwelling, made his home with us. And someday, as the people of God, we know that that will happen once again. That Jesus will return, and he will make his home with us forever. Not in a temporary way then, but in a permanent way, 
forever the word will come near. Until then, Paul encourages us to let the word dwell in us. Colossians 3.16, the word of Christ must live, must dwell in you richly, deeply, fully, truly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The word that dwelt among us now dwells in us. The word of God, the word of Christ has taken up roots inside of our souls and is with us and guiding us and directing us and transforming us. Last week, we began on Mondays from 12 to 1, gathering together at the commons for an hour of fasting and prayer, to fast and to pray. The things that the people of God have been doing for thousands of years, nothing new, just the same old practices, the same old ways of following the ways of God and the world. So, you know, we're going to devote ourselves to these things. And I want to encourage you in the same way as here we are at the beginning of a new season in our life as a church, a new season in the calendar, a new start to a school year, maybe a new or fresh season for you. That in this new space, in this new season, may we prioritize the word of God. May we ask for it to come near to us. And may we let the word of God dwell in us richly. May we read it. May we listen to it. May we, may we memorize it. May we recite it. May we write it on our windows and our bathrooms so that we see the word of God before us all the time. May we discuss it with one another, with our friends, with our spouses, with our children, with our coworkers, with our neighbors. May we take those very words and would they be the words that we pray when we internalize them in every way possible. May we richly, may the word of God dwell in us richly. As the worship team and Evan come forward to lead us to the table, I want us to take a moment right now and just pause. And I want you to think of a time where the word of God came near to you in a surprising way, in a, in a transformative way. Maybe a time where you read a scripture and it just jumped off the page at you and struck you in the heart. Maybe a word spoken over you or prayed over you by a loved one. Maybe a, a scripture that you memorized as a young person and now you just hold on to it. Begin to recall that scripture to mind. Maybe it's John three sixteen. for God so loved us that he gave. Just begin to do what the scriptures teach us to do, to meditate on it, to think about it, to recite it, to pray it. And with that word, inspire you to worship today. May it provoke repentance as we come to the table. And may it actually lead us into obedience, not in our own strength, but by the power of the Spirit of God that has taken up residence in us as well. The word of Christ and the Spirit of Christ dwell in us richly.
I love what God so frequently does in the scriptures where he takes an abstract and he makes it deeply personal. And that the invitation of this table could be this abstract with the word and we're responding to the word, we're being invited by the word and then the apostle John, John 1, takes this abstract and says, the word was God and he was with God and he came to us from God and the flesh and it becomes this very personal This word is the person of Jesus. And so when he speaks, it's him and it's his relationship. And when he invites, it's to him and to relationship. This is Jesus's table. And all who believe Jesus is the true king of the world are welcome to receive regardless of our church backgrounds or affiliation here. If you don't believe like we're professing and believe, then thank you for choosing to spend Sunday morning with us. We're honored that you're here and we encourage you. Keep coming, keep asking questions, even in this space looking around going, God, are you real? That is a bold and we would believe powerful question to ask. Keep doing that. However, if you are here in this space and do profess and believe and you're ready to follow Jesus' teaching, we invite you to join as we confess of our sin and ask for forgiveness and place our trust in him again. So the words of our confession will come up on the screen. Let's say it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you and thought word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. It is my joy this morning to announce this good news to you then. Words that are true, not because I say them, but because of what God has done. So would you open up your hands and receive again this mercy of God, that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners, and this proves God's love toward us. And the name of Jesus Christ We are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. As those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, would you stand together and greet with the peace of Christ your brothers and sisters around you now? this is what we believe and declare, that Jesus is here. So lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right. Let's just do that all over the space now. Come on. That's how the word elicits a response of worship, y'all. It is good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, our Father Almighty, for you formed us in your image and you breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. 
And it was on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death that our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. When he had blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of Christ's mighty acts, we proclaim this mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. We believe that all of us who are in Christ are part of a priesthood of believers. So would you either open up your hands, heaven word, or stretch them out over the elements. We're gonna invite the Holy Spirit to encounter us in this moment. So pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, O God, make us one with Jesus, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Jesus returns in final victory. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> These are the gifts of God, beloved, given for us, the people of God. Receive them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. And as the servers come forward, in just a minute, this is how this is gonna work. Beginning in the front of each section, you'll exit your row to your left and you'll come forward. If you're in the balcony, you can come to sec- join the section on my left, your right, or there's elements prepackaged in a table up there in the corner. If you're not receiving... We ask that you still come through the line because the rows are pretty tight. It helps with the flow, but then just walk right on by the stations and don't receive today. If you are unable to come through, just let somebody know around you or grab one of the servers or our staff and and just say, hey, I can't get there, but can you come bring them to me? And if you are receiving and coming through the line, we come empty-handed. It's nothing we've done, but everything God's done for us. So come and with an open hand and a server, the first one will place a napkin in your hand. And then there's two sections in front of, or two stations in front of each section. You can alternate between them. Someone will declare over you the body of Christ broken for you, and then they'll take that, crack, that gluten-free cracker and dip it in the non-alcoholic wine, the blood of Christ shed for you. They'll place it on your, your, your napkin. You can receive it right then and there, or you can go back to your seat and receive it alone or with those that you came from. But the table is open. Jesus has invited us. The word has spoken. Let us now respond and worship again.
Great is the Lord. Great is he in his word. Great is he in faithfulness. Great is he in this place. And now you are being sent to make him great in all of the places and spaces and relationships that you find yourself in this week. So as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn to you and grant you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now go and be the light. You are sent. We'll see you around town.